If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I'm always going to point my thumb at myself and not not the finger uh, at someone else. State of Nebraska means so much to me. This program is everything. This is my life right now. Doing everything I can to to get this where everybody wants it as fast as possible. It certainly uh, hasn't gotten there as quick as I want it to, but I, I have, haven't for one second lost hope. Uh, in belief in where we're going and what we're doing. Just being around it every day and seeing the progress, seeing the talent that's been infused into this program, seeing us be competitive. Again, it's about turning the page and finding a way to win a game and then getting on, on a roll and getting some momentum. I think once that starts to happen, we have all the all the pieces in the program that we need to, to win and, and win at a good clip. But nobody's more impatient uh, than I am, and nobody's uh, nobody's putting more pressure on, on themselves than I am. Less games this year makes makes all the ones we do have um, that much more important. So, um, yeah, it's crucial for us to get a win this week, um, get on a roll. Um, winning's contagious, so we just got to get one and um, get it rolling. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus will join us later in the recruiting segment. And, Robin, boy, um, kind of a broken record. You know, we're close, not there, but when we get there, we are going to be there and that's kind of been the story of Nebraska football the last couple of seasons. I mean, we, we've seen signs, but in the Big Ten, you know, a very sound league with good coaching and good players. They have not been able to, you know, break through. And Saturday at Northwestern was another one of those games where eyeball test talent-wise, Nebraska looked like the better team. They outperformed them in every key statistical category other than the scoreboard. And they lost that game. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's where a lot of Nebraska fans, as we get ready for Saturday's Penn State game, have a lot of issue with this past week. I mean, they, they're not dumb. And Nebraska fans know that Nebraska lost that game because they did all the little things wrong you can't do to win, especially against a team like Northwestern. Well, it's the same thing uh, we've been talking about for you now going on two and a half years where uh, until Nebraska can finally figure out a way to not shoot itself in the foot and uh, stay out of its own way, they're not going to beat anybody, let alone fundamentally sound football teams like Northwestern. We talked about it all. I mean, go back and listen to last week's show. All we talked about was how Northwestern doesn't do anything to blow you away. You know, they don't have that great elite level talent or anything like that, but they're just, they're sound at every position and they don't make mistakes and they play a brand of football where uh, if you don't play clean, a clean game, they will exploit it and they'll probably beat you because of it. And guess what? Nebraska committed a bunch of penalties. They turned the ball over. They had defensive breakdowns that led to big plays. And in the end, all those things added up to be the difference in the game and took a game that they should have won and turned it into a loss. And you knew, Robin, I think just from the onset, the way that game started for Nebraska, 
the opening three drives, Nebraska had four penalties. The opening drive, they had two penalties. And you knew that was just a recipe for disaster on Saturday uh, because Scott Frost, he thrives on getting the ball first, having that first Scott Frost, I'm an offensive guru type of drive where he drives it down on anybody and scores a touchdown. And that that's the recipe for success. And the minute Nebraska – um, you know, got penalized twice and shot that drive in the foot. They're just not good enough to get third and 12s against Northwestern. And very few people will get third and 12s against that defense. That defense is set up to eliminate those big plays. And that's why you have to, if you're, if you're going to beat Northwestern, you have to stay on schedule. And Nebraska got off schedule way too much in that game to win on Saturday. Yeah, and again, it's the same stuff we've been talking about year in, year out. And uh, how all these things are quote-unquote fixable mistakes, but here we are two games into year three, and they're still happening. And you, the mistakes aren't – you can't even just chalk it up to young guys kind of learning. I mean, veteran players are making these mistakes. you got uh, senior offensive linemen jumping off sides and, and committing holding penalties. You've got, you know, these uh, careless penalties where guys are getting, you know, thrown out of games – for targeting penalties or trying to tackle with their shoulder. I mean, those are the types of things that uh, should have been corrected a long time ago. And that's probably the most maddening thing about this whole deal for Nebraska fans is, yeah, it's not only just a broken record, what's being saying, said after games, but what's happening during each games is that all this talk about, we know what we need to fix. We're this close. We're about to turn the corner. And yet they've been stuck in neutral for far too long. And you know, that Northwestern game was another example of basically zero progress being made in the areas that they've been needing to fix for a long time. And then that brings us to Saturday here, Penn state game, another 11 a.m. game, by the way, Illinois will be an 11 a.m. game in Iowa. We get an extra hour. It'll be a noon game. Uh, which, by the way, that's about the perfect kickoff time, I think, noon, 1 o'clock. Um, so we'll get that on Black Friday in Iowa City. Um, then we'll learn Nebraska's final two kickoffs later on in the year. But this is a game of 0-3 Penn State versus 0-2 Nebraska. It's two fan bases that just don't like their season right now, two teams that are upset about their records, two teams that have kind of started off winless from shooting themselves in the foot. And this is such a hard game to read um, but when you look at this Penn State team, they're full of experienced players. I mean, you look at their last four years, Robin, they've played in a Rose Bowl, a Cotton Bowl, a Fiesta Bowl, and a Citrus Bowl. Three of the four years they've played in a New Year's Six game. The other year they played in the highest profile non-New Year's Six game, the Citrus Bowl. So there's a lot of players on that Penn State team that have played in bowl games and high level. They're not winning, but they have more experience. I got a little trivia question for you. Name me the only player on Nebraska's team that has played a snap in a bowl game for Nebraska. Boy. So, so a bowl game at Nebraska? Yeah, for the Huskers. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. JoJo Doman, 2016 Music City Bowl. He had, a, he had a fumble on kickoff coverage. That is the only player. Wow. I went back and looked at the numbers last night. There is only one player on this roster that is ta- taking a snap in a college football bowl game. Unbelievable. And you got Penn State, who's played in you know three of the last four years in New Year's Six games. So I have a hard time ignoring that, even though they're 0-3. There's a lot of winning on that roster, and that's the difference right now with Nebraska football. There is only one player on this team that's played a snap for a team that's had a winning record. That's that's probably one of the saddest stats of. A, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to um, start your your weekend off on that note. Yeah, and so going back to Penn State, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, they're 0-3, but they were a preseason top-10 team for a reason. They were regarded as the biggest threat to Ohio State in the Big Ten 
for a reason. And, you know, obviously they got off to a bad start, you know, losing Journey Brown, who uh, was one of the best running backs in college football, uh, now has to retire from football, unfortunately, because of a heart condition. But, uh, you know, they, they still have more than enough talent to be significantly better than what they have been. And, you know, a couple plays go differently against Indiana all of a sudden and by the way Indiana's pretty good this year you know they start the year off with a win and maybe that changes how those next two games go but you know this is the desperation bowl you Penn State could you ever even fathom Penn State starting the year 0-4 probably not can you imagine Nebraska starting 0-3 well that's a different story and so for Nebraska to change the narrative of its season this is a must-win game and a situation where you're finally at home for the first time in almost a full calendar year uh, and you have a Penn State team that is reeling and has shown that you know they're playing far from perfect football right now this is an opportunity but on the other hand Penn State I mean, their their fan base. If you can imagine how mad Nebraska's fan base is, like this this was supposed to be a special year for them, and it has been a total disaster. And uh, they will be desperately looking to get their thing back on track. Right. This now. is what I know, Robin, about 2020 Big Ten football. Ohio State is good. Yeah, and that's pretty, it. Pretty much. That's it. I mean, I think the rest after that is a grab bag. Yeah. I mean, there there is nothing predictable or chalk, as you would call it, about Big Ten football in 2020, other than Ohio State's good. Iowa's off to somewhat of a rocky start. Minnesota, as we know, is off to a dismal start. Uh, Maryland is surprisingly 2-1, and one, and they got their COVID cancellation against Ohio State, so that's almost a break for them. And, you know, they may make a bowl game now. You know, Maryland could get to a bowl, which no one could yeah. have predicted that. They're much better than I expected. That was be. the worst team we saw play last year. Yes. I mean, Nebraska went out there with – no receivers and won that game in College Park last year. Yeah, you get two as a little brother, and all of a sudden it changes everything. So, yeah, it's – we can pretend like we know this conference, but we don't know. And we don't even know with Wisconsin right now. What are they going to look like against Michigan? What's Graham Mertz going to be like? Because the win against Illinois, yeah, it was impressive, but we know Illinois might be the worst team yeah, in the league. they're terrible. I mean, they're – and their defense has shown time and time again that basically anybody could throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns on them. So, I mean, yes, it was they Wisconsin looked good, but, you know, how is that going to translate, especially after a two-week layoff when they finally get back to action? So, I mean, there's a lot of questions surrounding them, and that's why you can even add more importance to this game for Nebraska, that despite being 0-2 and having, you know, coming off a, a very frustrating loss, you know, th there's still a lot out there in front of them, especially for them to try to well, get some momentum building. And they need that Illinois game to happen. I mean, yes, they do. Yeah, we don't know. Well, there's been one cancellation in the Big Ten this week, four in the SEC. Um, so, you know, COVID has hit. I mean, ten about 10% of Big Ten games, three of 28 have been canceled this year already. Um, so, you know, that, that's a, about one per week almost. And you hope that it doesn't happen again, but it is. And, and hopefully Nebraska had their one and won't have to deal with it going forward but when we come back Robin I want to talk about the quarterback race and what we know going into Saturday with Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez that's next here listening to the Husker Online show you're listening to the Husker Online show your authority on Nebraska athletics you know I could see how it could be a delicate situation that what we're very grateful for is we've got you know two good quarterbacks but they're two great people both those guys want to win football games and whoever starts on Saturday, the other guy's gonna be his biggest fan. And I really believe that. And that's, that speaks a lot about those two guys. But it's really, it's gonna come down to who's, who's playing the most consistent. And then like at any position, you know, whoever starts the game is who we think at that moment could give us the best chance to win. Those are both great 
human beings and really good football players. Um, we trust them both. Uh, we rely on both. They'll both handle the situation well, and I hope they come to compete. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill here in Lincoln. If you're looking for a place to watch the Husker game or all the NFL action, there is no better sports bar in Lincoln than Tanner's. It's newly remodeled. They'll have drink specials leading up to kickoff. Uh, they're COVID compliant, obviously, uh, social distancing in effect. So it's a fun, safe, great place to watch Nebraska football. Get on into Tanner's here in Lincoln on 30th and Yankee Hill. And Robin, you heard offensive coordinator Matt Lubick, head coach Scott Frost, talking about this quarterback situation for Nebraska heading into the weekend. And not a shocker, Scott Frost did not name a starter. And I've been saying from the week, beginning of the week, he was not going to do that. Because, number one, if it is McCaffrey, he's not going to throw Adrian Martinez to the Twitter and talk radio wolves and just, you know, tear him apart. And is this the end of Martinez? Is he going to transfer now, et cetera, et cetera? I think when you look at that, if you named McCaffrey the guy, not much good would come out of it, at least pregame. Just let it be a game-time thing. Let it happen. And let's say McCaffrey does struggle. Then you can always – insert Martinez back in the game, just like what you did a week ago when you inserted McCaffrey into the game. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason really outside of our own selfish reasons to, uh, you know, want to know. Just for uh, Twitter and message boards yeah, exactly. and talk radio. But from a team perspective, uh, yeah, it makes no sense to make this a public thing and do it any earlier than you have to. For one, I mean, like you mentioned, just the, the mystery that uh, Penn State's going to have to prepare for two quarterbacks or not know who they're going to see the majority of. And, uh, I mean, there's an advantage in that. And then also... More importantly, uh, you know, you're talking about two guys that, uh, to their credit, have handled this whole situation about as well as you possibly could have. And to throw a guy like Martinez under the bus, um, you know, if they in fact do make a move, you know, that's, you know, I don't think that's fair to the kids. So I think that's the right way to handle it, to uh, just kind of let this thing play itself out on the field and don't uh, put anyone uh, unnecessarily vulnerable to, uh, like you said, any criticism or public attacks. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Luke McCaffrey gets the start? I mean... I'm about a 9. Yeah, I was going to say about an 8, and probably that's being conservative, just because you can read in a little bit to Frost's comments. You know, he seems that... He, He's protecting Adrian. Exactly. Like, he was, like, trying to, like, you know boost uh, Martinez up and like you say, yeah, he made some mistakes, but this, this is, but then when he talks about McCaffrey, he's like, you know, he just provides that booth. He's, he's got this, this energy every time you, you see him that is infectious and it, it resonates with all of our guys. I mean, you can kind of put two and two together that, uh, you know, this thing is kind of trending in the direction where McCaffrey will be the starter. Well, think about this. You could have two of your offensive captains not be starters, Adrian Martinez and Cade Warner. Wow. Because the receivers, as we know, that's a whole other topic we'll discuss here on where that's heading, but I, I think most of us would agree guys like Xavier Betts and, and uh, Alante Brown and then Marcus Fleming, Marcus Fleming are, are trending into starting roles or more reps, and they took more reps away from the the veterans uh, this past Saturday in, in that loss at Northwestern. But here's another stat about quarterbacks that really jumped out to me, Robin. Nebraska has called 35 designed quarterback run plays through the first two games. So that's about 17.5 on average per game Adrian and Luke have had design run calls. These aren't scramble plays where the quarterback's going to throw then run. On the flip side, they've only called 34 runs to the halfbacks. So their most effective running plays by far have been these quarterback design runs, which have averaged about eight to nine yards a carry 
where on the flip side, the tailbacks have not had a long run longer than 15 yards. So they've got to redistribute the balance of the rushing game. They cannot live on that quarterback run as their main run much longer. No, and it's the same stuff they were dealing with last year too, where by the end of the year that was kind of the only play that was keeping drives on schedule and was scoring points in the red zone. And that's not sustainable. I mean, it's a nice wrinkle to have, and it can be effective uh, in spots. But you got a guy in the backfield in Dedrick Mills who is your quote-unquote bell cow. You've got Wandale Robinson, who's one of the best all-purpose players in the conference. You have a deep tight end group. You've got young, promising wide receivers. I mean, use your weapons. Find ways to get guys more involved to where you're not putting so much on whoever is under center at quarterback. I mean, yeah, as good as you know Martinez could be or as McCaffrey has shown flashes of, they need help. And you, ha- I mean, with Wade Dirk Mills played at the end of last year, how he hasn't been more involved is beyond me. Especially and, when you have the same offensive line. And I, I don't get it. And he's a guy that the coaches themselves say gets better as the game goes along. So he might you know, get two or three yards a pop as the game goes on. But eventually, his running style, he's going to break one. And he's going to wear down defenses. And as we know, that is the formula for success in the Big Ten. Well, here's the other problem, Robin. When you get off schedule, when you get penalties – yeah. It really takes away when it's first Mills. and 15 that changes your play calling yeah. from first and because four yards from Diedrich Mills doesn't get you much. Nope. Then you're still at second and long. So it, I think a lot of it is Nebraska's mental errors have led to other guys not being a factor. Now, last week we did see these young receivers get on the field. And I think that was one of the bigger positives. Marcus Fleming took 40 snaps. He led Nebraska in receiving and didn't even play half the snaps in the game. He had the most catches and the most yards. Uh, you had Alante Brown and Xavier Betts play a lot as well. Omar Manning played only four snaps. I think the feel going into this week, we probably won't see much of him. We'll see, though. Um, but the story to me was Fleming and then Betts. And you can tell they are working really hard. They're in kind of this conundrum, Robin, where do you play the guys that know the offense but can't get open or are less talented, or do you play the guys that don't know the offense that well but are more talented and can make big plays? And I think we all know the answer to that. Well, especially when they're what they've been doing isn't working. I mean, clearly this passing game has been atrocious, and a lot of that is just because of the lack of a dynamic element uh, with the, the wide receivers. Those dudes can't win. They're not, they're not winning. They're no. not getting open. Yeah, I mean, if you can't get separation against you know Big Ten-level cornerbacks, uh, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. So that's uh, something that I think is going to gradually change. And you, know, you mentioned Xavier Betts. He only played 11 snaps. Against but he was very productive. And he caught two passes for 17 yards. And coincidentally, both those passes came from Luke McCaffrey. So I'm curious is if they do make a quarterback change and Luke McCaffrey is your, your predominant QB, do the wide receivers inherently get more involved? Because, I mean, obviously he's developing a rapport with Fleming. He's, got, he's developing a, a rapport with Betts and maybe even Elante Brown to an extent to where those guys, if they have a quarterback that's a little bit more comfortable throwing to those wide receivers, you know, maybe they kind of by a, a natural progression be, become a bigger part of the offense. And I, I really think, Robin, the younger players in the program – the 2019 and 20 kids, they they like McCaffrey. I mean, he's their guy. And I know there was a, a Twitter story once the summer or off season, and somebody asked um, Fleming, and he responded on it. You know, who's who's the better of the quarterbacks? And he kind of said something, but he goes, "But Luke, that's my guy. You know, that's my <laughs> dog." And, and you know, so you can th- these players like Luke, and 
you know, the one stat that really got me on Martinez last week was he was 9 of 23 with no pressure, meaning no blitz. Just yet. missing. Just missing. And you go back to his freshman year, he was a 70% passer with no pressure. And what what's going wrong from now to then is the million-dollar question we'll never know the answer to. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Saturday is. But we both expect McCaffrey to start. We'll see if it plays out like that. Let's talk defense, though, next, Robin. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We talked to the, the, the defense yesterday that, you know, I'm not looking to bench people. I'm not looking to scare anybody, but there's a lot of young guys that are earning a lot of opportunity and they need the they need the reps. And however you practice this week is going to determine how many reps those young guys get and how many reps those older guys get. We definitely saw guys, and you guys know who they are, Miles Farmer, Quentin Newsom, um, Luke Reimer, um, Jordan Riley got back in the game. Some of the outside linebackers um, affected the game probably more in their snaps than, than others. So it's going to be a it's going to be a good week of practice and guys know that the uh you know it's it's on the line and we're back here on the husker online show sean callahan robin washed as we get you ready for saturday's 11 a.m game against penn state in memorial stadium it's november 14th and it's the home opener which is hard to believe robin but you know the defense through two games obviously nebraska's 0-2 but they have played better and you know they're more they've played with physicality up front I'll tell you a number that's really jumped out to me, and I, I did some deep diving on this this week. Um, in terms of pressures, quarterback hits, hurries, and sacks, Nebraska is averaging 20.5 of those per game. The last two years, they've averaged about 13 per game. So there's about seven to eight more plays per game that they're disrupting a quarterback than they were a year ago. And I think that really speaks volumes to the gains this group has made, um, the scheme changes and tinkering they've made, um, and and they played. The bottom line is they played well enough at Northwestern to win that game. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, it's crazy that you know when you look at what this team is right now, uh, the majority of the strengths are on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think everybody's been really impressed with uh, the, the the how this defensive line has taken that step forward with a bunch of young guys, despite losing three players of the NFL and you know the linebackers have maybe been the most pleasant surprise of all where uh, outside linebacker was in, in my opinion I'm sure many others the biggest question mark on the team going into the season and yet uh, with you know obviously Joe John on one side but then that other uh, outside spot with Nick Henrich and um, Valdarius Payne and Garrett Nelson and those types of players they've all stepped up in a big way to where you know, they're setting the edge and they're doing the things necessary. They're getting some pressure on the quarterback and doing all those things that have been lacking the last two years in this defense that um, you really got to tip your hat to Mike Dawson. And then the secondary, um, even after losing two starters last week, they had two young guys, Miles Farmer, Quentin Newsom, step in admirably where Miles Farmer almost won on the game with how he played in the first half. So a lot to like on that side of the ball. And if the offense could play anywhere near the level it's supposed to, Nebraska's probably at least looking at being one and one right now. You know, Robin, it does make sense. The New York Giants have really tailed off without Mike Dawson, <laughs> yeah. and, and he's improved their defense. You know, Robin's, a, if you're not familiar, Robin is probably the, the lead New York Giants fan in the state of Nebraska. Well, that's quite the title, but uh, yeah, I, I do, uh, for better or worse. Like you own it. And so, you know, to that point, Marcus Golden, who had, I think, eight, eight and a half sacks last year under Dawson, uh, he was absolutely terrible this year, and they ended up trading him to Arizona. So that just goes to show you the Dawson effect is real. No, and the way they got Payne going on limited time, he didn't have spring ball. That play where he kept 
Ramsey in containment mm-hmm. and forced to throw away. That doesn't show up on a stat sheet, but exactly. that that was not happening in the last two years. No question. And then the way they've changed the scheme up, they've gotten more creative where they'll just play two defensive linemen. It might be Ty Robinson and Ben Stilley together, and then they'll bring Payne in, and they'll have two stand-up outside linebackers on the edge um, with JoJo Doman as a nickel and Caleb Tanner. I mean, they'll do, they're just doing different things with that scheme that they weren't doing before. Yeah, and again, I think that that kind of shows how this uh, defense is evolving from where it was in year one, and a lot of that has to do with personnel. I mean, I, I think they have better depth on the defensive line to where not only do you have you know more players, you have guys that can play multiple spots, like a Ty Robinson, like a Stilly, and you can move pieces around. Uh, versatility is the name of the game with that front seven, and I didn't even mention the you know the inside linebackers. I mean, obviously, the Luke Reimer has been the story of the week on that side of the ball uh, with his uh, extremely impressive debut and you pair him with, you know, Colin Miller's playing solid football, Will Honus before his injury was playing well, you know, that group all of a sudden looks a lot more stable than it has in previous years. So, you know, again, I think that you know, if this defense continues to play at this level, you know, they're, they're going to be in games and they're going to have opportunities to, uh, you know, win more often than not, uh, assuming the offense can finally do its job. And Robin, uh, the secondary last week was shorthanded in the first half, and that might have been one of the bigger surprises. Miles Farmer came in and played outstanding. Um, you saw Quentin Newsom hold his own, but Miles Farmer had two interceptions. And granted, one bounced off a guy's helmet right to him, and the other was a bad throw, and he took advantage of it. But you have to do that. And we haven't seen that happen a lot with Nebraska football, where they forced the issue and got turnovers, which led to points. And those plays should have helped Nebraska win this game. Yep, that's the hallmark of this defense. I mean, they're not going to. It's not their play is not going to be reflected in you know the points allowed, yards allowed. It's going to be in the game-changing plays, turnovers, sacks, tackles for loss, those types of things that you know shift momentum and uh, change the course of a game. And Nebraska made more than enough to win that game. And what's going to be interesting is, what do you do with Miles Farmer going forward? I mean, obviously, you know you like uh, Deontay. Deontay Williams and Dismuke, but you know Deontay has already been thrown out of game for targeting. There was plays where he's like trying to tackle with his shoulder. He led Nebraska with three missed tackles. And so. At some point, you know, production's got to speak for itself. Oh, there's all this talk about the wide receivers playing more. You got some young DBs that are making the case. And I think that was one of the messages when Eric Chenander spoke earlier this week is, you know, it's not just quarterback that they're looking at a competition week. You know, there's some spots on defense that if some of these veteran guys don't pick it up, they've got young guys right behind them that are going to take their jobs. And we're over six minutes into this segment, Robin, and how we've not talked about Luke Reimer. Um, I mentioned him. That, that has been – in depth. Yes. I mean, yeah, in depth. <laughs> that has been one of the real surprises of this defense and, you know, makes you wonder why wasn't he playing last year if he was that good? Because even Luke Reimer without really as much experience, I think was probably better than what they had a year ago. He was unbelievable on Saturday. Like he, the, the way he was finding the football, we haven't seen a Nebraska linebacker do that in a long Since time. Levante David. I, I, you know, I wasn't ready you're, to you're jump to that. Well, okay, he, let's okay. Levante David led the Big Twelve in tackles his first season. That's on. I mean, we're not saying that's going to happen mm-hmm. here, but let's put some perspective here. He had six stop tackles in that game, ten total. A stop tackle, if you're not familiar, is when the defense wins the down. It's a tackle where you where you you notice it and you're like, ooh. And he had six of those. That already leads Nebraska, and he's only played one game. That's crazy. Yeah, and so just think about uh, where his you know development is going to be in a couple of years. If he's already at this point to where you know you can make the case he's Nebraska's best linebacker right now. I mean, with the way that he played in that one game, uh, I mean he he was everywhere, and that. 
nose for the football and just in, instinctual mind for the game is going to make you, uh, you know, extremely productive at that inside linebacker spot in this defense, especially with the guys they have eating up blocks up front. So uh, the sky is the limit for Luke Reimer. I mean, what a story coming out of nowhere. Uh, you know, maybe you can speak more about just kind of his his path to get to Nebraska, but also just, you know, the, the strides he's made to where, you know, Barrett Rood, Shenander, Frost, they all say that, you know, we knew from the very first practice last year that this guy was going to be good, and now it's starting to show already. And the first time I ever heard about him was from a Wyoming coach who's now at Buffalo, and he had mentioned, he goes, have you seen this Reimer guy? He's a dude. But I think the conundrum a lot of coaches had was they didn't know if he could get big enough to play linebacker, and they didn't know if he had the hips to play safety. And he fell in this kind of no-man's land that a lot of in-state kids fall into. They're tweeners. And, you know, college coaches are really, really picky on using a scholarship on a tweener especially a, a guy that played eight-man football before he got to Nebraska and played for a not-so-good Nebraska high school program in terms of playoff success, et cetera. So, you know, you had to really project, and he was going to go to South Dakota State, decides to walk on here, and man, I mean, he, he looks like a guy that could play at the next level, and that, that's saying a lot for a kid that's only started one game. Yeah, no question. And, you know, he's sitting there, what, uh, 6'1", 220, you know, there's linebackers that have been about that size that have done just fine for themselves, even at the next level. But in a year ago at Maryland, you could see those instincts. He made a couple plays in that game late. Um, but, yeah, he, he was just new to the scene. And when you're a, a true freshman walk-on, if you're on the field right away, that's that's unheard of. And, and it, he has gotten a scholarship before any player I've ever, I've ever seen. I mean, how many second-year guys have earned scholarships? Very few. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. Andy Janovich got one his second year. But that was a gentleman's agreement Bo Pelini promised him when he walked on. So, And by the way, Andy Janovich is yeah. in the NFL. Turns out Andy Janovich is pretty darn good. So when we come back, Robin, we'll, we'll get to the mailbag next and take questions. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, I think it's very important to come out here and have somebody come into our home and show people we can do because they got something to prove just as well as we do. So it should be a good game, good physical game. Try to come out with a win. It's just playing for the love of the game, right? I mean, uh, you really shouldn't need a crowd of screaming fans to get you going. I mean, if you're out there on that field, you should be wanting to compete, wanting to show that you're here for a reason and that you want to be one of the best of the best in your position and uh, really just have a competition one-on-one against the guy across from you. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, now taking your questions in the mailbag as you heard Mark Smuke and Matt Farniak talking about uh, what they're looking forward to this week, Robin. And the first question here in the mailbag has to do with running back. Is Ronald Tompkins injured? Is he okay? What's his status for the week? I can tell you he missed some time at practice last week and did not make the trip. I mean, that's really what it came down to. You don't practice, you don't travel. And, and, and any more that you can add from Scott Frost on that topic from Thursday, Robin? Yeah, actually, he did confirm that uh, Ronald will be back in the mix. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Is he now the number two again? Uh, obviously, Marvin Scott took over that duty. He only got three carries for 14 yards against Northwestern. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. He didn't clarify what that meant, but he said that Ronald Thompson will be available and will likely play uh, against Penn State. The little we saw of Scott, though, I mean – yeah, Scott actually said Scott Frost said that Marvin looked really good in that limited workload. So, uh, you know, certainly, you know, if you want to try to find silver linings, that was definitely a good start. All right, next question: Can this offense be fixed and be better this year? Sure, 
And I think a lot of it, Robin, starts with eliminating the mental mistakes and staying on schedule. Very few offenses are built to operate off schedule unless you have Justin Fields or somebody freakish or you have really good receivers that can win a lot of 50-50 type matchups. And in Nebraska's case, they don't have at least the developed and experienced receivers to, to win in those situations. And Martinez has been a little slower with his decision-making and then obviously the penalties. So I think it starts with eliminating the penalties. Yeah, I mean, again, as much as people hate hearing this, uh, all the things are the biggest issues Nebraska's dealing with right now. They are truly fixable. If Nebraska stops committing self-inflicted penalties, every one of their touchdown drives this year, they did not commit a penalty on that drive. And so it's a pretty easy to figure out equation that if you play clean football and don't set yourself back up with penalties, your likelihood of scoring goes dramatically up. So yeah, I mean, if, if they can figure out a way to not be their own worst enemy for once, uh, I think that this, uh, th- there's a lot higher ceiling than what we've seen so far. Cam Jurgens did not travel to Northwestern. Um, I was told this week in Beatrice, it's a foot injury, possibly um, turf toe. I speak in Beatrice every Thursday. So really leaned on the community for some insight and um, sources. A lot, a lot of, a lot of lead professionals from the Beatrice community, but I, I believe a turf toe type thing has bothered him, and I think there's a chance we could see him Saturday. A lot of it's going to be a game time feel, though, don't you think, Robin? Yeah, especially with an injury like that. A lot of it's just pain tolerance, and so I mean, if he's feeling good and thinks that he can play, he's going to play because you know Scott Frost said that they need they need him out there as as well as Far- Matt Farniok played, or at least they they felt that he played. At center, um, they know that their offensive line is better when both those guys are out on the field together. So if Jurgens can go, they're going to let him go. Now, Robin, you were at practice Thursday um, on the Zoom. On the Zoom, least. yeah. <laughs> you were I not. Wish, at I practice. wish I was at practice. But Sevian Morrison, what did Scott Frost? What's the latest on him? Apparently, he's been dealing with injuries. Uh, he, he obviously did not uh, travel. He hasn't played a snap yet this season. Um, they're not. It's not anything significant. He said it's just kind of lingering minor issues right now. So, you know, I think that they're still hopeful that they can get him involved at some point this season, but that's been the holdup on him so far. It's just, just injury-related. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Will we see more Xavier Betts? I, I think that's a no-brainer. I think all those receivers are going to play more Robin, um, and I think they know that they have to get these guys out. And these coaches know it's their job to get them ready to play. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you look at the freshman receivers – Marcus Fleming has played 51 snaps, so and he's their second leading receiver in terms of yards and catches. Uh, then there's Alante Brown, who's played 32 snaps but has one catch for 16 yards. Betts is right behind him with 11 snaps, two catches for 17 yards. Omar Manning, four rep or four snaps, no targets. So I mean, there's a lot of room for those guys to get more involved, and they need to get more involved for this passing game to to be what it needs to be. All right, here's an interesting question: Should Wisconsin, assuming they play the next five games, should they still be eligible to be in the Big Ten championship game? And, you know, obviously you don't think they should, but they will be. And yeah. they've already got a rule in place. If you play six divisional games, and let's face it, Robin, there's going to be more cancellations. Uh, but if they beat Michigan this weekend, they're in really good shape to win the division. I mean, that's just the reality of it, especially if they can get the head-to-head. The head-to-head over Northwestern now is probably the biggest game on the schedule for Wisconsin. Yep, yep. It's convenient that they, you know, the two games they missed were against Nebraska and Purdue, but – you know, it, it's the rules that were in place. When you have a schedule that allowed zero room for flexibility, you just got to kind of play this year for what it is. And we all knew that there was a high likelihood the games would get canceled, and that's obviously played out so far. So, I mean, it's just the reality. The idea that every team is going to play, uh, you know, eight, nine games, probably not going to happen. So, there's, you know, if they can get the, the required number of games in, then they have every right to be in the Big Ten Championship. 
You're taking your questions here in the mailbag. Here's another one. Um, why don't we see more triple option at work than the little bit that we saw it against Ohio State? And I don't know if it's that simple, man. I, I think that the triple option, yeah, it worked in, against Ohio State, but you really have to rep and practice that a lot. And yeah. how, how much time, when you only get, say, 20 minutes in a team period, how much of that 20 minutes do you want to dedicate doing that? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You have to dedicate your your design team reps, whatever it is per day, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, whatever that time is that you get. You've got to dedicate it to what you're going to do. And yeah. you can't just – Say, we're going to really focus on triple option, even though we may not run it this week. It's yeah. got to be a big part of what you do. Right. It, it can be a wrinkle here and there, but to sit there and like suddenly shift, like heel pivot your your offensive philosophy, especially with so many young guys. I mean, you got these young wide receivers that are still trying to figure out your real offense, let alone some, you know, change of pace thing. Like, I think that's almost doing yourself a disservice because uh, every practice rep you get is so valuable to get these guys caught up, uh, especially with how crazy this offseason has been. When will fans lay off a Shenander? And you know, I think it's a fair question. Um, I, I just think Nebraska fans, we've been in this kind of rinse-repeat mode of always being mad at coordinators. And you know, the defense has had its moments the last two years, but they've played better this year. And I, I hope people recognize that this defense – despite the fact they lost four NFL guys from a year ago. They're playing better ball right now. I mean, just go look or go back and listen to our second last segment that we did where we're praising almost every level of the defense and how much potential that group has. Now, special got, teams? Yeah, that's that's a different story. And, you know, I guess it's, it's been somewhat better. Field goals aren't nearly the adventure that they were a year but ago. But they still miss one of them 40. Yeah, they did. But for by and large, I think Culp has been serviceable uh and you know the punting team that was a different story they were terrible last week uh so i mean obviously some things to fix up there but defensively uh we've i think they've improved in all three levels of the defense and like we said they played well enough for them to win saturday and that's all you can ask for especially in a scott frost program next question when's the last time you felt like scott frost's offense looked like scott frost's offense and for me illinois illinois when martinez went for three something and ran for over a hundred Indiana at the beginning before the fumble, I thought that's what it, you know, when the way Vedral ran that offense and moved it down the field, like a little point guard almost that's getting rid of the ball quickly, that's what it's supposed to look like. And we've only seen it a few times. Um, over Minnesota's first year. Minnesota and Illinois' first year. Michigan State, that game was a win, but it didn't look like it. No. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, you just think about last year, the Iowa game, they had the ball at midfield to win the game. And they couldn't do that, and not only did they mis-execute that situation, they allowed Iowa to have time to win the game. Yeah, I and mean, again, I think that that goes back to the overall issue about this team is they don't know how to win, and it's kind of the chicken-the-egg thing. Do you need to win to build confidence, or do you need to have the swagger and confidence to win? And right now, I think they just need to find just a win. Yeah, and do it two weeks in a row. If you can have consecutive weeks of that winning feeling, that is such a culture lifter and changes your entire outlook on everything. You know what they call that? A win streak from Major League. <laughs> yep, you get one, that's one. Two, you get three, that's a win streak. Yep. All right, Old final question. Ground. A little lighter here. Favorite Thanksgiving side dish? I know we're getting close to Thanksgiving, and unfortunately many of us won't get to have probably our traditional big family Thanksgivings where your Aunt Betty brings some side dish that you really like. Mine would be my mom's spaghetti corn and then mm. stuffing. Those are my two favorite ones nice i'm a huge mashed potato guy uh mashed potato and gravy uh, but a sneaky uh b option would be deviled eggs i don't know what it is but i could eat probably a dozen deviled eggs in one sitting and we are going to rob and i are going to have traeger smoke offs this year with our turkeys yep 
Yep. Sean's got a better trigger than I do though, but you know, I'll, I'll make do with what I have and I'll bet you it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and watch a little football on, on Thanksgiving, but all right, when we come back, Nate Klaus will join us on the show. We'll talk recruiting with Nate. You're listening here to the Husker Online show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, no, I do think the talent's really been pretty good. Um, I think uh, compared to when I was coming up, I think the the metro area especially um, has gotten uh, quite a bit better. I think Lincoln, uh, when I was coming up, really controlled uh, you know uh, state football a little bit more. You know, we obviously Creighton Prep was always very good when I played, Papillion La Vista, but. Um, I think uh, Omaha's been a little bit, uh, a little bit ahead of late, um, but there's there's good talent in the state, and even when you go to West Nebraska and uh, go up north, there, there's there's becoming more and more talent all over. Uh, it's it's good for us to see because I, I love I love how those in-state kids uh, are brought up, and I think uh, most of them are still multi-sport guys, which I love. That are they're competitors year-round, and if you are you're seeing a lot of really good football on a, on a weekend to weekend basis here in Nebraska. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show final segment. Nate Kloss joining us here by the phone. Um, as we get ready for Saturday's 11 a.m. Penn State game, Nate, and you heard Barrett Rude there um, about the in-state talent. And, you know, thank goodness the in-state talent has been uh, solid for not only 21, but it appears 2022 and maybe even 23, uh, because without traditional campus visitors and, and what we're used to seeing at Nebraska as far as bringing people into town, this is a time where in-state talent has never been never been more important. We, we've seen seven offers made for 2021. I believe it's five for 2022. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nate. Yeah, it's up to five already for 2022, which um, I don't recall. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but I don't recall Nebraska extending five offers, um, you know, to – the junior class before the football season's even over with uh, in a long, long time, maybe, maybe even in the last you know, 15, 15 years or more. Uh, I think it's been, it's been that long since we've seen something, you know, the Huskers do something like that. When you still get a sentiment out there, there's some people that feel like, Oh, they could offer more of these guys. But if you study the data, I mean, Nebraska is a small populated state to have seven offers in this state right now for 2021. I mean, the, the statistical data with only about 64 Class A and Class B schools, I mean, that's, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, that's a pretty good hit rate when you can have seven offers out when you really only have about 64 Class A and B schools. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And, and especially if you want to combine, you know, the, that senior class, that junior class, and here shortly, I think we'll be able to start looking at the at those sophomores, those current sophomores, which would be the 2023 class. I think there's going to be, you know, several offers that that could possibly go out early in that class. So here, all of a sudden, you're you're talking about, you know, maybe even uh, 15 to to 20 offers between those three classes, which which is a definite uptick in, in overall talent in the state. And like you mentioned, there's never been a better time for there to be a lot of talent uh, in state wise and even really the three or the 500 mile radius uh, than right now with, with all the circumstances that this, uh, you know, that the college coaches are dealing with, especially Nebraska, as far as not being able to have visitors on campus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting with Nate Klaus, and they made a new in-state offer this week for the class of 2022, a six foot three, 210 pound linebacker, Ernest Hausman, out of Columbus. And 
Nate, this one, I don't want to say it caught us off off guard, but you know, we do a pretty good job getting around the state, and this is not a guy that had been on really our radar all year. Um, so for, not only for him to emerge, but to get a Nebraska offer as his first offer, it tells you Nebraska really has seen something they like about this kid. Well, yeah, I mean, there, he's somebody who's really come on here this this season, I think, as a junior, and, and kind of really developed and um, and you know, you turn on his film, and it's easy to see what what Nebraska saw and why they offered him. I mean, he's he's six three, two hundred five, and and can run. He's physical. Uh, he, he's got a very nice frame. I think he's going to continue to fill out. And you know, I think that as far as being a potential outside linebacker, you know, that's that's a position of big need on this football team. Um, not just for this year's class or next year's class, but for for you know several years down the road i think that's going to continue to be a big position of need and and uh, i think you know ernest hausman could be someone that helps kind of fulfill that need you're listening here to the Husker online show and nate um high school semifinals are taking place here on friday in nebraska i, I still think a lot of shock about that bellevue west upset to see carney i was at the first bellevue west carney game the 49 14 uh thunderbird win so to see Carney win that game uh, 41-40 in that fashion. It really has kind of rocked the boat on these Class A playoffs. It's paved the way for Husker commit Kobe Bretts and that great Omaha West Side team uh, to be the heavy favorites here um, to go into Memorial Stadium after the semifinals are done. Yeah, it really has. I mean, that game, that was, that was creating news all everywhere, I think, as it was kind of playing out. You know, I was – I was at the uh, Lincoln Southeast Elkhorn South game, and that's all everyone was talking about on the sidelines is, is what the score of the Bellevue West Carney game was, and how much time was left, and who had the football. And I mean, because people were very, very surprised, especially after you know the score of that first game. And and you know, I don't want to take anything away from Carney because they've played one heck of a tough schedule, and and outside of that first uh, Bellevue West game. They've been they've been right within striking distance to pretty much win every every game that they have lost so far. So, um, you know, they are a tough battle tested team and and you know, probably sets up one of the more intriguing games for, for this week here with uh, that Elkhorn South Kearney game. You know, I think um, you know, there's you got two hungry teams right there and and I I can't even begin to think how much confidence that Carney squad has right now heading into that game. Well, we could see that 2006 uh, rematch game. Uh, if you remember, Carney, led by Noah Keller, they beat Westside in a state championship game at Memorial Stadium when Brandon Cool was a young, early coach that a lot of people didn't know much about, and they, and they won that game um, against a Westside team that was loaded. I think there was five or six Division One players on that team, two Division One tight ends, uh, Tim Berry and – um, t- uh, Beckhold was the guy's name. He had Collins Okafor. Um, so we could see that yep. game. I mean, nothing would surprise me on that Carney Elkhorn South game. I think I would be pretty surprised if Millard South beat Westside. Yeah, I would. That that would be probably the the bigger surprise. I think is if Millard South was able to to pull that off. And uh, but they're a tough team too. You know, I mean, and and it's the playoffs. Anything anything can happen. But. I think regardless of how things play out, that, that Class A, you know, 
uh, is going to be pretty exciting here over the next couple weeks leading up to the championship game. And then you'll have uh, Henry Harburg, Nate, playing in the semifinals as well, a rematch against Adams Central, a team that Kearney Catholic beat earlier in the year, and they could have a chance to avenge um, their only loss of the year uh, against St. Paul if, if those two teams square off in Memorial Stadium. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's uh, a, a, or a game of, of great intrigue, too. You know, and Adams Central is no no pushover. I mean, that the game that Kearney Catholic won earlier in the year against them um, was was far from, you know, a dominant victory uh, by Kearney Catholic. So uh, that's going to be a really good game. And, and uh, you know, but I would really like to see uh, a rematch of that, that Kearney Catholic-St. Paul game. Um, you know, I was I – was, Super impressed with St. Paul when I when I watched them beat Kearney Catholic the first time. So um, you know that's that's definitely something that uh, you know, I wouldn't mind watching again to see a matchup between those two great teams. Well, lots to follow here this weekend. Nate, Greg, Peterson, and our team will be out uh, covering the semifinal games, and Robert and I will have our hands on deck with uh, Nebraska Penn State at 11 a.m. on Saturday. So make sure you're logged on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 